0: I'd like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We welcome everybody who's here. We're thrilled you're in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, I wouldn't want to be anyplace else on this holiday weekend than right here with you experiencing the glory of God. Let me make just a couple of more announcements. Uh, we want to welcome into our congregation Brother Rick and Sister Linda Williams to HVC. This has actually been their church home for a long time. And then they moved to Florida for a while and they have moved back to Bloomington and they're going to be back with us. So we praise the Lord for that. If you don't know them, and I know we've reached a point in this church where not everybody knows everybody anymore. Uh, If you don't know them, they are Brother Brad Williams' parents and have really been part of this church for some time. So we're thrilled. I'm really thrilled they're back. Um, And then we put a word out regarding shipping of things for the people who've been affected by the Harvey. And we need those things. If you're intending to contribute, we need those things here at the church by Tuesday because we are shipping them out via truck on Tuesday. So if you could have them to us by noon on Tuesday, we have to get them to another location to be... Uh, ship by truck. And so if you could get them here, we would greatly appreciate it. Whatever you can do uh, If you give us money, we will make sure the money gets there too. I'm, I'm trying to figure a way on that I don't have an answer on that. Uh, you you got to be careful with this stuff because it gets really crazy um, About who's handling the money and 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 who's doing what with the money and and so I'm pretty cautious and try to be Aware of what's going on. So if you want to contribute make sure you identify it as that Uh, But if you want to bring actual items, which is my recommendation, we will get those items down to those who are hurting in Texas and Louisiana. And then the president has called today a national day of prayer for those who've been affected by Harvey in Texas, and Louisiana. And so I'm asking you to spend some time today, if you would, praying. Over that need, if you haven't already, I was uh, this morning awakened early, and my heart was burdened about it, and I was praying for the need. Uh, if you see any video at all, it's it's horrific. It's going to be a long time before those people get out of that mess. I have preacher friends who are showing me videos of some of their saints' homes. It's horrific. It's horrific. Uh, you think you know? I'm I'm not a builder, but I can think. You Think of all the water that's been standing. You think of all the mold potential. Sheet rock. I have a friend who said, man, send sheetrock. He said, because we'll be sold out here in no time, and they will raise the price like you cannot believe. He said, if you can, ship sheetrock to us. We don't think, if you've never been there, you don't think about those things. But those are the real practical needs that are going on in our world. So may the God of grace help us, and may you pray the Lord give us wisdom and give all of those who are participating in it with wisdom to get... Houston back on its feet and, and, and again. First Corinthians, I don't intend to preach very long today um, by the help of the Lord. Just want to tell you a story. First a story out of the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Not just any old story. Almost afraid to use the word story anymore because that's got connotation too. I'm gonna to tell you, I'm gonna tell you about an event that happened. Really did happen. Now, you're going to know this when every Everybody who's been to Sunday school is going to know this story if you've been to a Christian Sunday school. If you haven't, this will be new to you. But it's just an old familiar story, and I just want to drop something in your heart to consider quickly. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read long, 14 through 26. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I wanna I wanna commentate as we go through. Just because you say you aren't, doesn't mean you aren't. Well, I don't feel part of that. Doesn't mean you aren't. I can tell you when I'm in a moment of gout, flare-up, and thanks be to Jesus, I'm a year now without any kind of flare-up. Thanks be to the Lord. It was this time last year I was struggling tremendously, but the Lord's good. Uh, yes, amen, I believe that. But I can tell you the rest of my body hates those parts that are hurting. I'd like to. There are moments in which, which I wish I could cut them off. But they're still part of the body. Okay, moving on. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. You got to cover some things up. It's good to cover some things up. While well, we present the stuff that we've all agreed is more presentable. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And finally, my last text to just throw in is Romans, not throw in, but consider Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And I want to speak to you this morning. Just, just just—I don't even know if it's a title, but a thought. You matter, and you're affecting somebody. And it only takes one of us to turn the whole thing around. You matter. You're affecting somebody. And it only takes one of us to turn the whole thing around. You're pointing your finger at anybody, blaming them that we're not where we ought to be. Stop. We're all one body. Be like my my hand pointing to my face saying the reason we're not anything is because of your ugly mug. My hands are attached. So if you're pointing in here, You're pointing at us you're pointing at yourself but you can make a difference okay I know you already understand the message we could just stop now and go home probably but we'll help you by the help of the Lord would you put your Bibles down and lift your hands toward the Lord and would you ask him to speak to your heart this morning by his power and grace Lord you're good wonderful in all of your way my heart rejoices in the majesty of your kingdom And I take delight, Lord, that you've called us from darkness to light. May our eyes be continually in the light and our back be to the darkness that seeks to tread upon our path. May we walk in the glory of your spirit as your radiance shines through us to affect our history. For your blood has covered our past and we delight in your glory and power and majesty and we give you praise in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Say it again like you mean it. Praise the Lord. That's good. That's good. Turn around to two or three people, shake their hand, and say, Praise the Lord! My wife and I have never adopted children, formally, (laughs) not your fault, yeah, I know, (laughs) though we have many children who we have been parents to beyond our own children. But one of the things that I have had opportunity to deal with those who do adopt and have adopted, and I guess our story isn't finished yet, so I dare not put us in one place or the other, is that when you bring a new child into your home, it affects your home. This is the counsel I always give to those who are considering adoption. I prayerfully speak to them regarding how will this affect your existing home because it will, it will, no matter how good you are, no matter how great you think your skills are, they will impact your home for good or bad or both because we all bring that kind of baggage with us. And so it is in the church, when God saves someone or brings someone to this body, we prayerfully consider those things because they affect the church. It's not everybody who comes to me and says, I'd like to be a part of HVC that I say, come on, we're glad you're coming. I've rejected people. They've come and talked to me and I've said, we're not a place you'd fit in. There's probably another place you could go that would be a better fit for you. Because I know that they bring with them who they are. And sometimes you don't want some things in the body. But then God in his wisdom chooses to birth people in the church. And those we have no say over. Because he put them in. The McMurrays and the Manns have just recently had new additions. Only the Lord knows what those children will be. But God gave them to them, and thus they are part of the family. By sheer birth, they're McMurray's, and by sheer birth, they're man's. Haven't deserved a thing, haven't labored a single day to add anything to either name. They got it by being born. But because they were born into those families, they get the benefits of those families. They get the privileges of those families. They get the honor of carrying the name of those families just by being born. But I, I've lived long enough and I've seen enough of life to know that there will come a time at which there'll be some sorrow with those children. I'm not prophesying. I'm speaking in generalities. Every child brings joy, but there are moments... I got something in my mouth. I cannot get it out. Goodness gracious! About to drive me crazy. Hard to preach and be dealing with something running all over your mouth. <laughs> I know you never even, that never crosses your mind. Sorry for intruding your space with my problem. <sighs> but <laughs> every child brings some challenges with them. This is the joy of parenting. He's learning to walk with them through those times and and watch them mature and grow up. Our son, Bo, had wonderful things that he brought into our family. He also had a very strong will that he also brought into our family that he still carries today. He's pretty confirmed in what he believes, and he doesn't always agree with me. And sadly, he'll eventually figure out he was wrong and I was right. (laughs) our daughter Deandra what a joy she brought into our home we thrilled with her and enjoyed raising her but she also had her (laughs) ways about her that we had to deal with and then there's Danae (laughs) I don't know where she's at where she's sitting at she's hiding from me back row see how it is should be on the front row, but Danae came into the world to rule the home, <laughs> and I'm telling you, she ruled her brother and sister quite well, and she probably uh, affected me to some degree, <laughs> because I've become old and weak and. Not as much of a fighter as I used to be. Nevertheless, they were ours because God gave them to us. They ever shall be ours. Should we die and the Lord not take us from this world by rapture, they will still identify us as their parents. My children have been cursed with the king's smile and... So my daughter, at Deandra, goes to certain events that are related with the organization we're a part of. And I'm nowhere in the vicinity, but they will walk up there and say, you're a king, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Because of the smile factor of my parents, which handed it to, our, to us, and we've passed it on. I hope I'm not boring you with this today. I, I'm trying to get into your heart and understanding that there are times at which in the body of Christ, we don't, we're not always lovely. It's not everybody in the church that's fun to be around all the time. I'm probably not a fun guy. Although I can be, but... Um, I don't want to preach about me. I'm trying to convey to you a, a concept today because I want us to get it. We are a body. And as a body, we influence one another. And just because parts of the body you don't like or parts of the body are a little painful or parts of the body are less desirable does not mean we can refuse those parts of the body. I'm speaking practically now today. I'm not speaking, and I am speaking spiritually, but I'm talking in the practicalness of learning to be a body together in that the scripture tells us when we reach the point of spiritual uh, maturity, nirvana maybe, maybe that's the word where it's way up there, a place we've never been, we will bear one another's burdens and we will care for one another and we will weep with one another and we will rejoice with one another and we will understand the power of being a body and not individual self. Inside a gathering, but rather a body fitly framed together, a body that God has put here. You've been put here by God. He made you a part of this body, and He has a place for you in this body. You are not outside looking in, you're inside. You are us. We are you. We are a body fitly framed together by the grace of God. We didn't form this, this has been formed by God, who understands all dynamics, He understands all the inside and outs and he made us a body. So when, when you see someone act in a certain way or do a certain thing and you want to thumb your nose well stop and be concerned. Quit acting like it's not you. My feet stink. Especially after I preach, my shoes get, well, lots of sweat. My wife can tell you that unless I do some things to help, my shoes will become a problem of stench. And yet I'm thankful for my stinky feet. Now I, if I were to come to your home and you demanded that I not wear my shoes, I wouldn't, but I'm not taking my socks off. Now I have nice toes, my feet are beautiful. They're not, but I'm not wigged by my feet. Just, that is not a deal for me. You see my feet and they're ugly, God bless you, hallelujah. Not too caught up in this. The, This is not a deal for me. I don't want to be ashamed, but I'm not too caught up in looking. Whatever. But just because my stink is a problem for you does not mean I want to cut my feet off. I'm part of the body. It's part of my body. And no matter how much my nose screams... No matter how much my nose says, "gag, gross, get rid of the feet. The head says, glad for the feet. The head, which processes the sensors from the nose, says, they may stink, but we're glad you're there. Poet John Dorn, who lived in the 15 and 1600s, late 1500s, early 1600s, he penned this famous poem. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a propitory were, as well as as if a manner of thy friends or all of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I'm involved in mankind, And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. When you're in pain, I hurt. When you're rejoicing, I rejoice. What I know about it? My heart rejoices with you, even if you're a pain. Because you're part of the body. I do not wish ill will on the body. I want the the body to do well because I'm connected to it. I want the body to succeed. I want the body to thrive. I want the body to excel and go and do the work of God and do the purpose of God. I want the body to be healthy. I want the body to be whole. I want the body to be complete. I want the body to do what the body is supposed to do because I'm part of the body. So when you become critical of the body, shame on you. You're criticizing yourself when you condemn the body you're condemning yourself rather let our hearts be full of joy let our hearts be full of the thrill of knowing i've been made part of this body when one does well we all do well when one is in sorrow we all grieve and weep with the one in sorrow because we are a body fitly framed together by the wisdom and counsel of god he placed you where he wanted you not what your choice is but his choice too many of us in Bloomington, and I'm going to dress it, might as well. Too many of us in Bloomington think we have a choice where we want to go. Be careful. You may move yourself right out of the body of Christ. Because God has put you in a place. God has planted you. The scripture says that we are trees, the planting of the Lord. Too many of us are self-planted. Thus we feel we can... Repot. And you're nothing but a pot. You have the potential of destroying your part of the body of Christ. Can you imagine if my hand decided it likes my wife better than me? I know I'm ridiculous, but follow me. This is how ridiculous it is. We're joining her. Really? Now, we have a thing called transplants. Transplants. That are good for the body. <laughs> there are times at which the body needs some new parts. And God puts those parts in. He replaces. We watch it happen. We I stand back in awe, at times weeping and at times rejoicing, all in the same moment. Because God can transplant. And He does. He will. But immediately upon the transplantation, you are now part. Now, in in our world, because we have yet to perfect the science... You still must take heavy dosages of drugs to keep your body from rejecting the transplant. I want to tell you in the body of Christ that is not the case. No drugs needed. If he transplanted someone into the body, he has the power to make it accessible and capable to function within the well-connected body. Because God does the surgery well. When he pulls out, he puts in what is needful. And he does it well. You're part of the body. So often we live as Christians in, 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 in the concept and idea that we live to ourself and I am not important. Nobody at that church listens to my opinion and nobody at that church cares what I think. Well, we may not, but you're affecting us. Your presence is impacting us. Romans 14, 7 says, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. So let me take you to my story in scripture, and I'll try to be really quick. I've only been 15 minutes. I know it seems like an hour and a half, but it's only been 15 minutes. The the Philistines drew up their troops for battle. They deployed him at Succoth in Judah, and set up camp between Soca and Ezekah at Ephesus Damin. Saul and the Israelites came together, camped at Oak Valley, and spread out their troops in battle readiness for the Philistines. The Philistines were on one hill, the Israelites on the opposing hill, with a valley between them. There are two huge characters in this story that all of us know about because it's long left the Christian world and become part of the culture. We meet the first one of these characters now in verse 4, a giant nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. Goliath from Gath, he had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of armor. His armor was 126 pounds. Wow. Some of you can't even lift 126 pounds. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. What a man. Whoa. If you'd seen this guy traveling across your way, you'd have had your mouth agap and you'd been saying, Whoa, what a dude. The armor alone would have been quite Magnificent on such a giant of a man. Verse 8 of chapter 17 says, Goliath stood there and he called out to the Israelite troops, why bother using your whole army? Am I not a Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I want to stress to the church, we're in a life or death battle here. The souls of men are affected by this body. How this body reacts and responds to the voice of God is a life or death situation. And, and you can remove yourself. You can act like it's not part of you, but I'm telling you, you're part of the body. And how we react and what we do is affecting the souls of men. And you must keep in your heart and spirit continually. What I do today may affect the future of somebody. What I do today may forever change the day destiny of lives that are in front of me i must choose today to be a part of the body that is a healthy participant and contributor to the body of christ so that when the story is over and done i will have brought men to god i will have encouraged men and not caused men to lose their way This is the challenge of of, of Saul. I know we don't get this because we don't fight these kind of battles, but this is what's going on. Saul is saying, send your best man. We're going to kick his hind in. And when we're done, we're going to own you. You and your children are going to be our slaves forever. This was life and death. And I want you to know the church is in life or death battle today. We have been for years. This is not new, but I want to remind some of you who think, who live frivolously as though nothing is really that big a deal and life just goes on and nothing matters. I want you to know it matters because souls are at stake. And so he says, I challenge the troops of Israel this day, give me a man, let us fight it out together. Now that seems reasonable. Let's save as many lives as we can. Let's have one guy kill another and win this battle. This fledgling country and volunteer army responded to this challenge with with a wimpy response. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified. And the Message Bible says they lost all hope. Oh, God help us. We're a body for the saving of this city and community. Let us not lose hope. Let us not lose hope. No matter how beat up the body may be, no matter how decrepit the body may become, let us not lose hope. That's on you let us not lose hope. I'm not the hope giver. I'm not the one who puts hope in your life. Hope comes from God, but you got to keep your relationship with God so that hope is not lost as we battle and fight and war for the souls of men. There are moments in this battle when you can see hopelessness on the horizon. It's in those moments of hopelessness that you must stop and say, I choose hope. I choose to believe. I refuse to let all of this uh, uh, that is coming against the body uh, uh, cause me to lose hope. My eyes are fixed upon the one who is able to lead us to victory. And I will not back down from hope in him. (laughs) Israel lost hope. Israel went to their tents. Israel gave up and said, nobody can fight the guy. The biggest dude we have is our king and he's not willing to go fight and I'm not sure we want him to. What an army and what a leader, Saul and, and, and all of Israel, scared to death. Then arrives our second epic character, who you are familiar with and you know. And Enter David. He was the son of Jesse the Ephrathite from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse, the father of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons, eldest sons who joined up with Saul were Eliab, the firstborn, and next was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. David was the youngest son while his three eldest brothers went to war with Saul. David went back and forth from attending to Saul to tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. It's intriguing. We don't talk too much about the brothers who didn't go, but I'm assuming the brothers who didn't go maintained dad's house and kept things going. So it's, it's a little, it's a little crazy when, uh, David's eldest brother says, you shameful boy, how come you came up here and left the sheep alone? There were brothers to take care of things. But here enters this young man, David. He is a young man, and I don't think youth is necessary to do the work of God. I do think he will use anything in everybody who's willing to be used by God. Do not disqualify yourself because you're too old. Don't disqualify yourself because you're middle-aged. And certainly don't disqualify yourself because you're old. You are able to do what God has called you to because you're part of the body. And if you're part of the body, your strength comes from the body. And you're able to do everything that God wants you to do if you stay connected to the body. This hero doesn't sound like much of a hero. He's a sheep keeper. He's not a warrior. He hasn't been trained in war. He knows how to kill, but his killing has been animals for the preservation and keeping of his father's sheep. David hears about the challenge that's gone forth from from the Philistine giant, Goliath. He sees the fear of all of his fellow Israelites. He sees them trembling in their tents. It disturbs him. This is what blows my mind is it took an outsider to walk in and say, man, something's not right. right. Nobody in the camp was willing to look, stand up and say, you know what? We're not supposed to be scared. Right. Okay. From the king down, everybody is hopeless. From the king down, everybody's hidden in tents. From the king down, everybody's just hanging out. Right. Don't know what to do. Don't know who's going to win. Don't know who's going to lose. We're just hanging out. But we sure ain't going to fight. What a hopeless shame. And it takes a kid who's not trained, a kid who's a, not a professional observer, it takes a kid to walk on the scene who doesn't know the ins inter- and outs of war, to walk in and say, We got problems here. You guys shouldn't be this way. What's wrong with you? He finds out the answer. Well, he inquires about what they'll give him. I don't know why he did this, but he did. He finds out what they're going to give him if he defeats the giant. And he gets the answer. His his inquiries have caught the attention of the king of Israel, Saul. And so Saul calls him to come and talk to him. And here's the dialogue between two men, a young man and a man skilled in war, supposedly. The things David was saying were picked up and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. Master said, David, don't give up hope. I'm ready to go and fight this Philistine. Doesn't, I wish I, wish I could paint you, I wish as an artist I could paint you a picture. You got an old king sitting on a throne, crown on his head. He's scared to death, hopeless. And you got a young man, late teens, maybe early 20s, comes walking up to him and says, man, don't lose hope. Don't. Sometimes our experience can be our worst enemy. Sometimes all of our knowledge can become the deterrent to hope. Well, I've seen this play out before. I've seen how this works and I know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. It's a different day. Well, history repeats itself. Not if you allow God to intervene. Not if you keep hope in Jesus Christ and obey and follow in his steps. I promise you his will can and will be done if you just keep your hope in God. Well, I've seen this before. I know what that thing's going to crash and burn. Sure as well. well, just hang on. If somebody's got some hope, there's potential. But you got the young man looking at the elder who after years of years and years of experience should look at the situation and say, hey, man, we're going to make it. God is our God. He's delivered Israel for historic, in our history, way back. We've watched him do it time and time again. What's new? He's going to deliver us today. Rather, you have the king of Israel sitting there scared to death himself. And the young man says, hey, let's not lose hope here. God's on our side. Saul answered, David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. Well, he adds to the hope thing. He says, I'll go fight him. (laughs) Can you imagine being a leader in this Teenage kid who's got a slingshot hanging out at on one side of his girdle and a little bag hanging off the other side. Doesn't have a lick of armor on. He walks up, says, hey, man, don't lose hope. I could just, come on with me now. I could just see this, walks up, hey, man, don't lose hope. I'll go fight him. Yeah, right. <sighs> Saul answered, David, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. I want you to hear from Andrew King today. You're not too young and you're not too experienced. And if you are inexperienced, you're going to get some. So get out there and let's go to fight. The only way to get some is to do it. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to get cut. You're going to get hurt. Yeah, it happens. It'll help your ministry. And he's been on this fighting business since before you were born, Saul says. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I go get after it. I knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its net and kill it. This is such a young man. But he's a young man who feels concerned about the body. It's a young man who cares what's happening to the people He loves. He may not have had the greatest wisdom in the moment, but he just cares. He's he just concerned. He, he doesn't want the body to be slaves to the Philistines. He doesn't want the children of Israel to go down. This man's shaming his God, and he's shaming his people, and it's embarrassing to David. And he's sick and tired of this, and he wants to whoop their hide. He may not be smart. He may not know how to do it, but he's got the energy that says, let's just go kill them. Ring their neck and kill them. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do, that same. I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's taunting tar- 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 the troops of God who is alive. And I can just see the elder, oh boy, we got one of these, got a lot of zeal and no wisdom. Sometimes we need some folks with a lot of zeal and no wisdom. We need their dumb head to go fight. Some of you too smart for your own good. Some of you so smart, you're letting the enemy destroy your life. Some of you are so biblical smart, you're spiritually stupid. You don't know we've been called to a fight. And you're sitting here reading your Bible when you need to get on your knees and throw the Bible in the midst of your prayer and begin to battle in the Holy Ghost and come against some things and quit being super, sp- super biblical. How about being super spiritual? Some of the best battles I've ever won in the spirit have been when I was the dumbest I've ever been. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from the Philistines," Saul said, so go and God help you. So David took his shepherd's staff. He took his shepherd's pack and he found his way to a brook and he took five stones out of the brook. I don't know why he picked five. Man, people have put all kinds of things on that five stone business. Some have even built churches on five stones, whatever. Who cares? Maybe that was the tradition, and maybe you picked up five stones as a shepherd, you know, just for good good measure, in case you missed one or two. I don't know. I think it's a super spiritual connotation. He just wanted to go prepared. He had enough ready to, you know, at least sling more than once. Somebody said that Goliath had five brothers. Well, yeah. I'm not sure he was thinking that far down the road. This is the kid that just said, hey, man, I just killed a lion bear, wrung their neck, killed him, and this guy's standing up against my God. I'll go down there and kick him. I'll take him. He's not a real bright guy yet. He'll get there. Verse 41, as the Philistine paced back and forth, the shield bear in front of him, he noticed David, and he took one look down on him and sneered. A mere youngster. Apple cheeked and peach fuzzed. Man, I like that. The Philistines ridiculed David. He ridiculed David. I want to say something to you who are yet in the fight or not in the fight, but going to get in the fight with the body. You're going to have some people ridicule you. Anytime you allow God to begin to use you for the purpose of his kingdom, you will always bring the ridiculers out of their little hovels of do nothing. They can't do anything themselves, but they know how to criticize those who do. If you're any brain power at all, and it doesn't take much, ignore criticism. Ignore criticism. It is never the doers who criticize. It's always the non-doers who criticize. The doers are too busy doing to criticize ignore them act like they don't exist just keep obeying the lord and doing what the lord told you to do just keep walking just keep battling just keep fighting you're part of the body and your concern for the body is greater than theirs if they really cared for the body they'd do something about the situation but all they do is sit and criticize it's the spirit of the devil for he is an accuser of the brethren and he cursed him by his god's Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. And David answered you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe and I come to you in the name of the God of the uh, Angel armies the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock this very day God is handing you over to me I'm about to kill you cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't say by Means of sword and spear the battle belongs to God. He's ha- handing you to us on a platter Oh God, give us the spirit of a David. Oh God, give men and women in this church the spirit of a David. Men and women who can prophetically speak what the Lord's already put in your spirit. Listen, we got people rising up against the things of God. You need to look it in the face and speak what God has spoken to your heart. You need to act in faith but you need to speak in faith. Because if you speak in faith, you'll back up your speaking with your action. You need to speak what God has spoken to you and obey what the Lord told you to do. Do not be intimidated. Do not be afraid. Don't let men seek to keep you from doing what God's called you to. We're in a spiritual fight. Win this battle for God is on our side. We're on God's side and the war we're fighting is for the souls of men and for the salvation not only of our own but those he will add to the body and make part of us fight the fight. You can win because God is with you. Look the enemy in the face and say you're going down buddy. I'm going to take you and your friends. I just, I want to speak to you from years of experience. If you keep your heart and spirit right, you will win this battle. The only way you lose this battle is if you quit looking at God and you lose your walk with God. The only way you lose this battle is if you get your attention on the, the mess. You just keep your eyes on Jesus and remember why he put you in the battle in the first place. He put you here to win this battle for the glory of God and his kingdom. You've been planted. You've been birthed in or transplanted in one or the other because he wants us to kick some mm mm-hmm. That roused the Philistine. Boy, those words got him. Well, you can imagine some rudy kid, peach face, a peach fuzz, and apple cheek comes up there and tells you, I'm getting ready to take you out, buddy, and I'm gonna ser- God's going to serve you up on a platter. Man, that'd get me worked up. Boy, we're going to kill you, you and everything you is, and then some. That roused the Philistine. He started toward David, and David took off from the front line running toward the Philistine. I don't know if that Philistine had intimidated people for so long. And, and this, is, this is in the spirit world too. Listen, spirit worlds intimidate for so many years that they think they can intimidate anybody. And then somebody comes along who's stupid but in the Holy Ghost. And they look at him and say, you ain't moving us. Jack, you don't know who you're messing with. You're messing with God. You're not messing with that little Rudy peach face guy. You're messing with God. And God said, I'm going to serve him up on the platter. Years of experience. I want you to know you can win this battle if you keep your heart right. Keep your spirit right. Don't get bitter. Don't get downtrodden. Don't lose hope. Keep your eyes on the Lord. We will overcome. We will establish the, the church that God wants to establish here at Highland Village. We will become the body of believers that God has intended us to be. We will be a world-changing, a Bloomington City-changing church because it is the heart of God, not some egotistical preacher. I'm not, I'm not the one that matters here. What matters is the purpose of God, and He puts you in this body so that you could cause this to be reality for us all. God wants this to happen for the glory of his name. So the Philistine thought, boy, I'll just thrust my chest out, start walking toward him, and he'll do like every other man I've ever done that to. Don't do that to a man of God. Don't thrust your chest out at a man of God. I can tell you what a man of God will do. A man of God will pull whatever weapon he's got and say, let's go, Jack. You coming to me, you look at my eyes. You coming to me, let's go. Don't, don't get that spirit with me. I'm on mission. I may die in the process, but I'd rather die than be intimidated by you. So instead of cowering down, David starts running right at him. He said, if you're going to walk, I'm going to run. Runs right at the giant. That probably shocked the giant. Rarely had he had a man run to him. David reached into his pocket for a stone and slung it. He hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedded the stone deeply. That takes a serious throw. He didn't just hit him and the stone ricocheted off. The stone got buried in the man's forehead. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. Oh, I can't wait till the giant falls down we might do a little dancing around here, but I can't wait till the giant falls down. I can't wait till that spirit of intimidation, that spirit that is sought to keep us back from the purpose of God finally falls on its face in this body of believers because it's going to happen. It is the will of God that it happened and God will bring it to pass. If we will continue as a body to fight the good fight of faith, there is victory over this spirit and it shall be mine. The old song says victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battle then victory, victory shall be mine you hold your peace, you just fight when the Lord tells you to fight and victory is ours, we will overcome we will sustain the purpose of the Lord for it is the will and desire of the heart of God when he falls face down in the dirt we will shout and dance but don't dance too early that's how David beat the Philistines with a sling and a stone He hit him and killed him. No sword for David. He didn't even use conventional warfare. And that's the intimidating force sometimes. People, even our peers will try to tell us to do it the way they've done it. I'm going to tell you, don't you dare do it the way they've done it. You need to do it the way the Lord's telling you to do it. You need to stay on your face before God and say, Lord, how do you want me to do it? And that's how we'll win this victory. Not all the schemes and programs and plans that everybody in the world tells you. This is the way you build churches. This is the way you build. Shut up. I've been talking to Jesus and I'm just obeying the Lord because he is the church builder he said if he doesn't build it we're laboring in vain anyway we got a lot of vain building going on what a marvelous takedown what a marvelous takedown david did that was you got to know as soon as goliath went tumbling down there's guys up in the tents of israel going holy smokes batman dude did you just see that Hey, Benadab, your little brother. You see what your little brother just did? Dude! Man, there's happiness. There's joy. There's wonder. There's like, whoa, who is this David dude? But he wasn't done. Verse 51, then David ran up to the Philistine. He stood over him. I don't know what happened to the armor bearer. Somehow he disappears in this story. Maybe he was scared one of those stones was coming for him and he's out of here. I don't know, but he vamooses. We don't ever see him again. David runs over to the Philistine. He stood over him. He pulled out the giant sword from its sheath. That was weightlifting by itself. Come on. This was not an easy it had been better to bring his brother's sword but he pulls the sword of his own enemy. oh Jesus help us to recognize that when he's done with his story we'll take the we'll take the, the spirits that have intimidated out with their own weapons. their own weapons. They'll be destroyed by the thing they used against us. It'll come against them and to be their defeat. We may knock them down, but their own weapon will become the thing that destroys their life and they will no longer live because the word and will of God has come for such an hour as this. We've got to hold fast. We've got to not be afraid. Be full of hope. Be full of confidence in the God we serve, and victory, victory shall be ours. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Don't lose hope. You just hope in God and obey what the Lord says and look your giant in the face and rebuke him in Jesus' name. Use the word of God against them. And when they fall, they'll fall because of their own weapons. He pulled the sheath from the giant, uh, the sword from the giant's sheath. He finished the job by cutting off his head. Don't quit till their head's gone. Don't stop just because they fall over. Well, isn't that beautiful? I saw them really get, you know, get touched by the Lord. Oh no, they need to be dead. They'll rise up. And they'll be madder than they were before if you don't finish them off. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered running for their lives. I've noticed this about life. And I've got to hurry to finish. But I've noticed this about life. When you're in the battle, you have few friends. Part of the battle is being alone. It's intriguing that when you win, you got more friends than you ever thought you ever could have. I've been through this more times than I dare mention to you. But I've watched walking through alone, battling, struggling with situations, and everybody was trying to take me out. Everybody was out to get me. And then when victory came and the Lord began to bless the church, and the church began to prosper as God had intended it to all along, people called, hey, Brother Kingman, how you doing? Would you you come over and tell our church how you guys have done this? Nope. Why? You wouldn't do it if I told you, because it's hard work. And you got to be willing to be shamed and looked down on and thought evil of and thought wicked of. And you got to be willing to just be an embarrassment. And and you ain't got those kind of guts. So you don't want to know. I've never yet in all my ministry ever gone to a church and told them how we've won victory. Because they don't need to do it our way, they need to do it the way God wants them to win the victory. (laughs) If they'd pray, He'd tell them to they'd seek his face and earnestly fight against those things. We give in too easily, church. We allow spirits to just come in and take residence in our homes and in the church. We let them come in and take residence when that's not what God intended. Israel did this all the time. Israel went into a place and then they became partners with the wickedness of the place they dwelt in. That is not the will of God. Andrew King has no intention of joining the wickedness of the area. I intend by the grace of God to fight until I die or the Lord raptures His church out of this place. We will win by the grace of God. It is His purpose. It is His will. I don't intend to do anything else. Because I want to raise a church that glorifies Him. I want a body that magnifies God. I want a body that shows forth His praise. And men glorify God because of the body doing what the body's supposed to do. So the men of Israel and Judah, well, let me just finish that. I said, you know, you, you, you don't have any friends while you're in the battle. When you win the battle, everybody's your buddy. I've also learned that when guys who are, have lots of buddies lose... They lose all those buddies. Don't put too much weight in buddies. Put your weight in the body. Remember what the body is. It's one of the beautiful reasons my wife and I are getting ready to do a marriage retreat for a church in a, in a particular place. And One of the things I've been considering is that the body, the scripture tells us they are one flesh. That's the will of God. We fight together. So when the struggles come, you and your wife are not enemies. You're supposed to be working together against the enemy as a twofold, actually threefold cord because God's in the midst of your marriage. And brothers and sisters, when you put Christ in the middle of your marriage, there is no enemy big enough to defeat you. Oh, he may knock you around for a while, but you'll overcome that enemy if you'll keep your eyes on the Lord and keep Jesus in the sitter of your marriage relationship. So the men of Israel and Judah were on their feet shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to the outskirts of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Boy, it was a run. It was a run. I'm telling you. Wounded Philistines were strewn along the Sherem Road all the way to Gath and Ekron. After chasing the Philistines, the Israelites came back and looted their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but the giant's weapons he placed in his own tent. He eventually turned them over to the priest, but he he kept them in his own house for a while. Little David didn't just kill a giant. Here's what I want you to get. Little David didn't just kill a giant. He changed the attitude, he changed the mood, and he changed the direction of an entire nation. He changed the attitude, he changed the mood, and he changed the direction of an entire nation, and he wasn't even the leader. But because of his willingness to face intimidation and say, Oh, no, you don't, he literally changed the course of a nation he would eventually rule. Brothers and sisters, too many of you are looking to me. I'm just part of the body. Well, I know I'm, I'm I wouldn't call myself the head. The head of this thing is Jesus Christ, I'm his ambassador. I'm the best man to the groom. Scripturally, you're looking for me to win this battle. God's looking to you. He's looking for some of you to rise up and say enough is enough. He's looking for you to stand up and say, we've we've put up with enough around here. It's time for us to get some backbone. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to war in the spirit. It's time for us to go against the enemy. God's doing work right now among us. This message is simply re- putting in your ears what the Lord's trying to do among us and what he is at work among us doing. He's trying to put backbone in your spirit to fight the good fight and quit just coming to receive. you got to come to give. you got to come to war so that others might receive. You've got enough, people. You've received plenty as children of God. He's got a people he has yet not born into his kingdom. That he's waiting on us to fight the fight and and face the intimidating forces of the hour so that many souls can be born again. But you must fight. I cannot win this battle. You must fight. You must war. It is the will of God for us to understand our place, understand our effect. You can change the mood of this church. You can change the direction of this church. You can change the outcomes of this church. It only takes one of you who has the power to influence, not because you're influential, but because You have the ability to follow the Lord and do what He said and drive out some spirits that have ruled way too long in this city and in this church. Hey, this was so monumental. This event was so monumental. It changed the lyrics to songs. 1 Samuel 18, the women poured out, all of this, uh, out of all the villages of Israel singing and dancing and welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs and lutes. In playful fabric, the women sang, frolic in playful frolic, the women sang, Saul killed the thousands, but David, ten thousands. He got written into songs. You never know. You never know what God may do with you. You remember the woman who Jesus ministered to, and she came and ministered to Jesus, actually. And after she was done ministering to him over a religious controversy at the table, Jesus acknowledged her, and he said this of her. After she had ministered and washed his feet and poured ointment on him and all that, he said, Woman, what you've done today, you've anointed me, but what's beautiful is, is this story will be told everywhere. She was a nobody. She was a woman of the street. Let's be honest. Let's be, let's be modern-day English. She was a hooker. That's what part of the religious discussion at the table was. If this man knew who she was, he wouldn't let her wash his feet. You religious punk, you don't realize what's going on here. And from that day until today, we declare her story Hey, we got any folks in this church, I'm not calling you hookers, but man, you're sinful. You don't have it all right. You don't do it all right. You got problems going on. You don't have to be perfect to win this battle. You just got to be surrendered. We're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for hopeful people who are filled with the spirit and willing to fight against some stuff that's intimidated us for a long, long time. You have the power to influence this church. And I know I'm preaching to us today and I felt led to the Lord. That's what he wanted me to do. All of our guests, were thrilled you're here, but this is a message to Highland Village Church. You have the power to influence this church. In fact, I would go so far as to say you are. Just as all parts of my body affect the rest of my body, knowingly or unknowingly. If I wake up in the morning and I have an upset stomach, it affects my day. Can't even see my stomach, don't even know sometimes why it's upset. But it affects the rest of me. Even affects my time. It affects how often I have to make my way to the restroom and affects all the things I can get done, all because the stomach decided today we're going to be a bad guy. <laughs> you are affecting the body. How about being intentional with your effect? How about instead of being an upset stomach, how about being an arm that can do some work for the glory of God? How about being a heart that can care? Influence. You can influence if you'll trust and believe in God. Influence us. Influence others. Influence yourself. Influence everybody you come across to believe and trust in God. Don't speak doubt. Don't speak disbelief. Don't walk around telling everybody to disbelieve by your countenance and how God hasn't come through for you. Shut up about those things. If they ask you about them, say he hasn't come through yet, but it's on its way. Influence others to to encouragement and faith in one another. Let's not be gossipers. Let's not be bearers, Let's not carry the weight of one another around. Well, we're ashamed. They're part of our church. Yeah, you think think God's ever been ashamed you're part of His church? But He bought you and He filled you and He put you in and now He's got to live with you. Everybody's got a story in this place. I know some of us have been around long enough. We've forgotten our own story. We've forgotten we weren't always good. We've forgotten we did some unethical bad things in our history. There ain't no perfect ones in the house. Oh, we may dress up and cover it up better than some folks, but that's all it is, a dress up and cover up. It's not really the deal. Influence. Influence everybody to love one another influence to demonstrate the behaviors of servants to each other quit expecting to be served learn to serve quit expecting everybody else to serve you serve others that's that's influence that's influence what are you doing to influence the atmosphere of HVC If you love us, and I can't think of anybody who doesn't love their own body. I know some of us are uncomfortable with the size and the girth and the blah, 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 but you don't hate yourself to take yourse- enough to take yourself out. Stand, I'm finished. Uh, there's parts of me that I'm not real proud of, but I'm not telling you. That's my business. That's my body's business. And we try our best to make those things do well, look better, act more appropriately. Who who would have ever thought, boy, I'm getting ready to reveal, dear Jesus, help me. Who would have ever thought at 52 years old I'd be wearing support hose? (laughs) Socks, not hose, but all because I got one part. Just doesn't want to cooperate. Cooperate. And it hurts my pride a little bit. I had one of the young men in our church come up to me recently. He came with his dad. He said, his dad said, my son wants to talk to you for a minute. I said, great. And then he wouldn't talk to me. His dad says, I don't know why he won't talk to you. Here's what he wanted to tell you. He loves the, the colorful socks you wear. I said, man, I got to tell you the truth. Because he, he kind of wanted to know where he could get some for his size. I said, you're not going to get these. <laughs> These are support socks. (laughs) Kind of hurt my pride just a little bit, you know, having to tell people I'm having to wear support socks. But I got an ankle that's not cooperative. So I'm doing everything I can to make it do its part. And I told you, but you're part of the body. I certainly wouldn't tell that uh, everywhere else. We're body we're body our job is to encourage one another love one another strengthen one another speak words of life to one another L- listen we, we, we live in a little town really and, and everybody knows all the junk quit knowing the junk if they call to tell you the junk hang up Say, so you know what? That doesn't build me up. And I'm out to build up the body of Christ. I don't need to know the details of that. It's, it's not business I need to know anything about. And I can't do anything about it anyway. So why should I even carry the burden of that? Let her go. Let it go. I just care about the body, man. I just care that the body make it. Man, we get up in the morning. We do all kinds of things. Primping and properly doing what we got to do to make this thing look good for the world hey the world's looking at us what are you doing to make us look good or are you making us look bad you have the power to influence you have the power to influence and here's what I really want you to understand you don't have the power to influence us to be mediocre you have the power to influence us to be changed You can change this church. You can make us the kind of church God wants us to be. If you'll simply be the man and woman of God that God has called you to be. And don't be intimidated, but be full of hope and walk in obedience to God. Here's what we're going to do today for conclusion of this service. Now, I know we have guests and, and I do not expect you to participate in what I'm getting ready to do. This message is certainly for the body. But if this is your church home, if this is where God has planted you, and I'm thrilled he has, I'd like for you to come stand in this altar. If this is where God's put you, please come stand. And I want you to make one huge circle in this altar. One big circle. Just turn and face each other, an inside circle facing inside to each other. Take hands with one another as you come. And face into the middle of the altar. day will come and we won't be able to do this but we can still do it right now and thank God for being holiday weekend (laughs) or we we might not be able to do it even now (laughs) to our guests I don't want to make you feel bad at all not at all I'm not trying to do that thrilled you're here and if you want to join in praying with us feel at liberty to join in praying for us but but I'm speaking to our body the church Hey, guys, this is your body. We got some ugly parts, and we got some nice-looking parts. We got some parts we're trying to cover up, and some parts we're glad to show. It's fun being a pastor. Well, that might be a little overstatement, but it, it, it's enjoyable being a pastor. You, you get to see the, the big picture sometimes. And you see how the church turns on some people at times. And you're like, why? You, you, You just like them. But moving on. This is your body. And can I tell you how God views this? Every one of you are beautiful in his eyes. Every one of you, he's covered with his blood. Every one of you he has bought with his own sacrifice. And he put you in the body because he chose to put you in the body. Andrew King didn't bring you here. Nope, Jesus brought you here. Jesus brought you here. And sometimes it's uncomfortable being part of the body, but you're part of the body. I'm not ashamed of a single one of you. If I saw you in a restaurant or saw you in the mall or saw you at Walmart, you'll never see me at Walmart, but if I saw you at Walmart, I'd shake your hand. I'd hug your neck. I don't care what you look like or what you're doing. If you're drinking, I'd take you and say, come on, let's go home. I love every one of you. I'm not ashamed of a single one of you. I hope you're not ashamed of me. But brothers and sisters, we're a body. So what I want us to do right now as you hold hands with one another is I want you to pray that God would, if you don't feel part, that he'll make you feel a part. But whether you feel apart part or not, that he will join our hearts together and make us work together for the cause of Christ and his kingdom in this last hour. Would you pray right now together concerning that? Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the body of believers, the called out ones who you've put as your body in the earth. I praise you for the abundant glory and grace of your provision to us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the work of grace and mercy in the church, the body. You're coming back for the body. And we rejoice that we are part somehow of the greater body of of, of the church. And Lord, this particular part is yearning to do what we are called to do with efficiency, with intention, with purpose. God, spark a fire in the hearts of some who you've designated to lead us in change and designated to order us into the purpose and will of God. Spark a fire in them to recognize their calling that they may do their part in bringing the church into its fullness by the grace and power of God. I thank you for every life. I worship you for every soul. I praise you that you've made them part of this body for the glory of your name. Bless their homes. Bless their walk. Bless them as they unite and are fitted together the framework of the glory of God and may we be stronger than we've ever been as we understand that we are fitly framed together by your power and purposeful will in our lives. We glorify you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Now would you lift your hands uh, uh, by your own will, would you lift your hands and thank God for the body that God has made you part of. I thank you Jesus. I thank you Jesus. I thank you Jesus. I thank you Jesus for the body. I thank you for these particular members of the body who you have put in this body for all of our sake and that we may be blessings, one to another by the grace and power of your presence we glory and rejoice in you and we give you praise in Jesus name Jesus name Jesus name mm, praise God, praise God praise God I thank you Lord, I thank you Lord I thank you Lord for the body fitly frame purposely put together by the glory of your grace. Fill us up with more. Add more to us as the body has need. Pour out of your spirit. Baptize many with the Holy Ghost and fire. We glory in you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us. Praise you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise God. There is a battle before us. Don't be afraid. It may be bigger, uglier, and more vicious than anything you've ever seen. Hey, remember, you've killed a few things historically. <laughs> and who is this? Ring its neck. Chop it off. Don't want anybody doing that physically. I'm talking about spiritually now. <laughs> no, we wrestle spirits, not men. Spirits, not men. Spirits, not men. But we are in a real fight. This is not, these are not games we're playing. This is for, I'm not making anything up here. This is for real deal. In fact, I would declare to you that this is the real battle. The real battle's in the spirit world. And we will overcome by the power of the spirit. Take a moment or two before you get out of here in your holiday celebration. I'm sorry, I preached longer than I intended to. Take a moment. I know you got things to do. Get out of here and go do them. But would you just take a moment and love about four or five people and hey, say something encouraging to them. Say something encouraging. Don't tell them a bummer story. Tell them something encouraging. By the grace of God. Love one another and get out of here and have a great weekend in Jesus' name.